Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode six of the Mind Body Mastery podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Michaels, and so grateful to have you here with me today. On today's episode, before we get started, I just want to encourage you guys to all uh, head on over to, t- to Facebook um, and follow my page, which is Caitlin Michaels Mind Body Mastery Podcast. And also uh, feel free to join our Facebook group, which is a private forum where we can all kind of get together and ask questions and support each other. Um, the name of the group is Mind Body Masters, and I look forward to connecting with you there. It's still a very small community, so bear with me as we build our tribe. And then also, if you're liking the podcast so far, or if you're getting any benefit from it whatsoever, um, please feel free to leave a sweet review on iTunes. This helps me to reach more people and help more people, and it also warms my little old heart. So thanks so much for tuning in today. On the show, we have an interview with Joe Tunyon, who is, uh, he's got an amazing healing restoration healing story that I can't wait to share with you guys. So without further ado, let's get into the show. Thanks, guys. So on the show today, I am super honored to have our guest with us. His name is Joe Tunyon. And I actually found him on YouTube as he posted a really enthralling edge of your seat account of his TMS recovery journey. And watching it, I knew right away that I wanted to have him on the show. And that was even before I published my first episode. And so he graciously agreed to be on the show today. So I'm honored to have him be our first guest here on the Mind Body Mastery podcast. Joe is a server engineer by day and a musician and theologian by night. I'll link to his music in the show notes, but you can also find him at 12stories.com. That's the number 12, the word stories.com. Joe, welcome. Thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, thanks for having me. (laughs) So as so many of us who have been up close and personal with chronic pain, your story is pretty long and arduous. Can you kind of just give us uh, like a little brief story about how the pain began and a little bit about the journey that you took through the Western medical world? Absolutely. And I, I did a video just because I was so tired of telling the very long and drawn out story <laughs> to so many family and friends and uh, so if anybody wants to check that out on YouTube, it, it'll save me a lot of time, but I would like to <laughs> recap it really quick for your sure. audience. So, you. um, in a nutshell, um, I had chronic back issues pretty much since I was a teenager, um, 53 now. And, uh, for about 10 or 20 years, um, every now and then I would get what people call a back pull where, you know, you pull your back when you, you know, get up from a certain position and all of a sudden you're you're paralyzed with that piercing pain in the lower back and I would be out of commission for two or three days at a time and then everything's back to normal and it would happen again a few months later so two or three times a year no big deal life for the most part other than those interruptions was normal so 
in my 30s, um, I was working as a server engineer, uh, lifting up some heavy equipment and did a really silly move where I put a very heavy server on one of my knees to twist it out of the box that it was in. Um, and I was just bent over and just not paying attention to my form, which ironically I'll find out later was not really the issue. <laughs> but uh had the worst back pull I'd ever experienced, and I was hunched over for a couple of weeks, and it just got worse and worse. Then finally the pain went away, but my my right leg became numb to the point where I would stumble just trying to cross a street or going going up or down a, a curb. Um so to make a long story short, I had surgery, uh, a lumbar microdiscectomy, an L3, L4. They had shown that there was a herniated disc that was causing sciatica to the point where I had no feeling in my right leg. So the surgery fixed the leg. So I was able to walk without stumbling again, but made the lower back pain where the incision happened uh, more painful than before. And that lasted pretty much for the next 10 or 20 years wow. where the, the, the back pain was, was much worse than it had been before. But again, life was functional. My episodes would last two or three days whenever I would get a back pull and you just dealt with it as, as this is just normal. So one of the other things I do at night is I'm a, I'm a performer. I, I'm a musician. Uh, I play the guitar and I sing um, standing up and some of my gigs which are my passion and I love to do can be up to four hours long. And those were still doable, but I could never hop or skip or run. So as long as I'm standing and, you know, mildly moving around, I'm okay. But for many years I had to stop playing basketball. I couldn't uh, do any jogging or any, any activities that were anything more than just standing or walking. Um, so one day after a gig, I'm putting away my guitars and I sneeze. And when I sneeze, I get one of those good old back pulls. Oh, yeah. And I think to myself, oh, here we go again. It's just another, it's going to be another couple of days and I'll be fine. The very next day I had another gig and I decided to muscle through it. So I did. And from that point to the next couple of weeks, my back just got worse and worse and worse until it finally pinnacled where I had uh, a back spasm that had me on the floor in the most intense pain. And I, and I urge people to actually just watch the video. I don't want to reenact it for you here, <laughs> <laughs> but, but just say, you know, it, it was literally the, I was at the point of losing consciousness because it was so mm -hmm. painful. And I ended up in the ER. Um, this actually ended up landing in the ER twice because they had sent me home after a couple of days, totally doped up on, uh, what was that? The uh, painkiller. Dilaudid. Dilaudid. Thank you. <laughs> and boy, that's happy drug. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, you know, the after effects were horrible. But anyway, so they send me home and I'm still not I'm not fixed up. So my back pulls again into the spasms a couple of weeks later, trying to go to the bathroom of all things. So, you know, at this point, life was no longer livable. It was just this was really getting in the way of everything. Yeah. But again, I figure, you know, whatever, this is a really tough one. Maybe a couple of weeks, maybe a, a, on the long side of things, it'll be a month before I'm back to normal. So this is how I was for the next two years, you know, literally wow. about 20 months. 
Um, during those 20 months, just to summarize everything and not go into too much detail, there's nothing I didn't try. I tried electrical. I tried massage. I tried physical therapy. I tried chiropractor. I tried acupuncture. I tried anti-inflammatories. I mean, if there's, if there's an approach to curing back pain that exists, I tried it. Yeah. And I went to many back specialists and had some MRIs done. And, you know, sure enough, there was another herniation. And they also pointed out that I had three degenerated discs. And one back specialist told me that, you know, I had to basically accept the fact that this was something I had to live with for the rest of my life and to consider, uh, you know, Pilates to strengthen the core. Um, they gave me a typical regimen of anti-inflammatories and muscle relaxants to go through. Um, all of these things for moments at a time would give me a little relief here and there, but nothing could just get me back on my feet. Yeah. So over time, what I didn't expect to happen is that I actually just started getting worse instead mm -hmm. of getting gradually better to the point where most days I needed a walker or a cane just to walk around. Wow. So I, I was in dire straits and the depression set in. And then it finally got to the point where I would say that the pain itself was not a, you know, on and off chronic pain. It was with me 24 hours a day. Mm -hmm accompanied by a lot of numbness. And again, more than anything, the anxiety was through the ceiling. Yeah. So at this point, I told one doctor who told me that the next thing to try was a relatively new procedure called a disc discography, where they first have a prerequisite procedure where they have to determine which of the degenerated discs or herniated discs are causing the problem. And to find that, they have to put needles into each of the discs. So this is just a, a diagnostic. And I just, I had a mental breakdown in his office and I told him, look, doc, I need to put a big time out on my whole life right now. I can't do this anymore. Yeah. You know, it's, it was at the point where just mentally I couldn't handle anymore. Yeah. I didn't even want to talk about my back. I just wanted to sit there in the fetal position and nobody talked to me. So the guy was at least cool enough to tell me, look, I don't see a structural risk in your back. There's not a rush to have this procedure done. Take your time. Think about it. Give us a call when you're ready to do this. So I said, great. It was during that time that my mom gave me a book called Healing Back Pain by John Sarno. And I looked at it, read the first couple of pages. And I was like, oh, that sounds interesting, but whatever. And, you know, kind of threw it on the shelf and didn't think twice about it. My wife, who had experienced all of the stuff that I was going through, picked up the book and out of desperation, read it for herself in the hopes of telling me something new to try. So my guilt kicked in and I said, if she's going to read it, I'm going to read it. So I read the book and the book changed my life. And, and to this day, it's, it's like my Bible outside of the Bible yes. because this thing unlocked in my mind, something that was hidden from me, no matter how desperately I was looking for an answer. This was an answer that was out there apparently since the 80s, right? but, but it's just not, it was not brought to my awareness until circumstance, you know, where I ran into this book being in a semi-crippled condition, and the book just opened up my mind, and to make a long story short, in eight months, I'm playing basketball, I'm gigging, I'm running, which I hadn't done in 12 years, wow. uh, I'm doing all the other normal activities that were painful before. 
And I can't stop talking about this guy. And it's right. just amazing. You know, there's a couple of other, ta- you know, tangents off of that where there was a method that I used by Nicole Sachs for journaling out your feelings um, that are at the heart of, you know, what causes this kind of chronic pain. Um, and some other, you know, wonderful books, one by um, Steve Ozanich, which was great, um, and a few other ones. But John E. Sarno is, is my worldly savior. And I can't say enough about him. And you're one of the people that I've been connected with because of my experience. Right. And I'm glad to share it with anybody who who has, you know, this situation or know somebody with this situation. Because for me, one of the things that I can't do with this kind of healing is keep it to myself. Yes. You know, you see other people in this condition and you know that there's a cure for them. Now, obviously, it's up to them. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. Right. But for those horses that do want to drink, <laughs> man, have I got some water for you. <laughs> right. it's so I'll, I'll leave it at that. So yeah. that's my story. Right and I'm glad to answer any and every question uh, related to it. Awesome. So when you picked up the book and you started doing the work, do you remember, was there anything like going on in your life at the time of injury that you could kind of make a connection to as being an emotional trigger for the pain? Well, it's funny because such a big part of the book is exactly that, to try to find the emotional reservoir that's overloading already and spilling over into physical manifestations. And the thing with me is I'm kind of a a very emotions on my sleeve open book. Mm -hmm. So there was no mystery as to what could be causing my tension um, because there's just a slew of things in my life that I could point to. Uh, you know, family problems, work sure. problems, physical problems, problems with the kids. I mean, yeah. there there was no shortage of, you know, things to look for. So two seconds into it, I was like, okay, here's my problem. Here's my problem. Yeah. So there was nothing out of the ordinary. It was just a lump sum of this, you know, chest full of stress factors. Um, the main difference I would say that started my two years of of severe pain at that one concert was probably a combination of uh, one of my family members dying Mm -hmm. and uh, a change of situation at work. But again, I've had those kind of situations at other times in my life. Why this particular one, I couldn't really say, but I just pointed to Providence because that's what ended up getting me two years later to this book. So however I got there, I got there. Yep. Do you feel like your childhood had any impact on your TMS pain later on in life? Later on, yes, because when I started doing the journal speak method that Nicole Sachs talks about, um, one of the things you try to bring to light is exactly that, those childhood issues. And I always knew, again, being an open, you know, verbose, hard on my sleeve kind of guy, there was nothing that I had to like. Ooh, what could this be? No, I know, you know, my grandfather said this to me when I was a kid and it really hurt. And I carried that with me for years. This kid, you know, in summer camp really bullied me a lot. And God, I always resented that. So I didn't have to like search hard for it. Yeah. But I never really let the feelings out. I just kind of suppressed it as well. That's just a memory and too bad for me. Not realizing that the rage was actually building and manifesting itself in the way I interacted with other people the rest of my life. So it wasn't until they came out in the journal using this fantastic but so brutally simple method of journaling your feelings with no filters. 
Right. Which, which is just to take a quick aside, what makes journal speak so awesome is that it's different from regular journaling in two main aspects. Aspect number one is that you don't use a filter. You do it because you're going to get rid of it immediately. Nobody's going to read it. So you can say what that inner child in you wants to say with no ramifications whatsoever. Yeah. And what that actually does is allow you to give that inner child a voice so that it doesn't act out in reality, in the real world. Because so many people that I talk to are afraid of doing this kind of journaling because if they really confront these thoughts, like, you know, sometimes you literally want to kill someone. Right. But there's also the part of you, the grown-up part of you that says, but hey, I can't do that. You know, (laughs) murder is illegal and it's unethical (laughs) as heck. So I can't do that. Right. So, but you do have the feeling. And if that feeling doesn't get a voice, it's going to, it's going to announce itself as a physical manifestation given enough time. And that's exactly what I experienced. So, and the second thing about the journal thing that makes it very different again, is that you delete it right away or shred it if you're using pen and paper which is unlike typical journals where you, you know, you keep your entries so that you can reflect on them and go back to them. This is more of a purging process. And that was just so liberating that even though I've been pain free now for the past couple months, I still journal every day using that method just because it's so therapeutic and and very preventative. So I highly recommend it. And it's like I said, it's devastatingly simple. Yeah. Awesome. So after kind of reading Sarno and and starting to kind of absorb the concepts, what do you feel like was the biggest key to shifting your body's pain? So I would actually put it in two main phases. The first is the beginning phase where you can immediately separate the people that heal from Sarno and the people that have a problem healing from Sarno with the mindset and a faith or lack of faith in the TMS diagnosis itself. If you don't believe with all your heart and soul that you found the problem and that the problem was psychological in origin, even if it's physical in its manifestation, and you still lean on the the expectation that there's something purely physical causing your pain, then you're you're basically not going to get past step one. So the first huge stumbling block is that if you believe in it wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly, You have a chance of curing using Sarno's method. The second major phase is towards the end of the healing, where, again, I would see a lot of people, including myself, that were like mostly healed, but they weren't exactly 100 percent. Right. And that's, you know, for a perfectionist like me, that's that's really bothersome because, you know, here I am. It's I'm 90 percent pain free. Hey, how dare I complain? You know, I used to need a walker and I used to need uh a cane just to walk. I couldn't go upstairs. Now I'm playing basketball. I'm playing the guitar. How dare I complain that it still bothers me to sit for more than an hour or I can't take a long drive without a lot of pain. I really should just count my blessings. Right. And and it was a big realization that wrong. There's no reason to stop short of 100% pain-free, no more chronic pain living. And that's one of those things that we're just, we program ourselves to say, well, that's good for this guy, but not for me. Mm-hmm. And I always have been my whole life the guy that if there's a, a medication and, you know, 1% of people have a certain side effect, I'll be that 1%, you know? Yeah. So I figured that with, with Sarno's healing, when he says in his own books, he even says it, 
you know, 90% of the people find a hundred percent cure. And then another smaller percent have an, you know, 80%. And then another small percent are really troubled patients that need to have psychotherapy. And I always told myself, oh, I'm going to be that small percent that just, it doesn't work all the way. Right. And then finally, uh, through a nice interaction with Nicole um, on Facebook with her forum, um, she kind of gave me a beautiful advice on that last little 10%. And again, it was, it, was, it was a mental obstacle. It was one of those things where you have to stop programming your own self to think you're doomed to, to be part of this population that is never going to reach 100% pain-free living. Right. Nonsense. That's just you stopping yourself. Right. And once, once you just drop it, and like she says, she uses a phrase that I love, and it's one of those mental images that I carry with me. Throw your hands into the air. You're done. You know, yes. you're there. You're free. Even before, and this is a key thing, and I get a little passionate about this because, <laughs> like I said, as a perfectionist, when I went from 90 to 100% pain-free healing, I'm like, okay, the whole world's going to hear about this, whether they like it or not, because I'm so overjoyed at being able to live a full life that anybody I see that's in my condition with an open mind, I'm going to pass along the savings. You know what I'm saying? Right. So for me, it was one of those things where even before I was technically 100% pain-free, I considered myself 100% pain-free. So for example, I get one morning and I tell myself, I'm cured. It's done. I have no pain. And I get up and we all know, you know, behind the scenes, there's a little pinch when you just got up there. Yeah, but you know what? I'm going to fake it till I make it. So my wife asks me, hey, how are you doing today? I look at her and and dead in the eye, I said, 100%. I walk across the street, my neighbor, hey, Joe, how's it going today? 100%, man. My back feels great. And I'm telling you, Caitlin, within two or three days, I wasn't lying anymore. It, it, the, the lie became a fact. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, this is, it's kind of like using a conniving little, you know, trickster mentality against your own self, because right. that's what your brain did in the first place to put you in that condition is it tricked you into thinking your problem is structural right. so that you wouldn't put your mind on these emotional issues that are buried inside. So as a perfectionist, I said, and also I'm a fan, a fan of um, St. Ignatius of Loyola, who used to take any sort of ailment or strength or weakness and turn it to use it for something good. And I said, let me do the same thing. Let me take my mind's way of being a little trickster and I'm going to turn it in on its own tricks. I like that. And I'm going to tell it, hey, guess what, brain? I'm 100 percent. And the brain says, are you sure? Because check out this pain I'm about to throw at you. And then you feel the pain and you embrace and you go, yep, I'm sure. And after a while, the brain just kind of throws its hands in the air and says, okay, then I guess you're fine. And you literally stop hurting. And and this is the kind of thing that I'm talking about that so many people, how do you explain that to someone who's totally put their faith in the medical community telling them, look, you have a herniated disc. It's right right there in the MRI. You have physical evidence. Why would you ever question that? So. That's why I said that first main hurdle is is the hardest one to overcome. And all I can do is just say, look, I'm not being paid by anybody to say this. I stand no financial benefit, but you see me. And if you knew me personally, you knew I was semi-disabled for two years. And now I'm running around playing, playing basketball. I mean, let it speak for itself. And if that's not enough proof for you, I can't help you. Absolutely. (laughs) So that's it. Um, so once you were like a hundred percent, 
Did you get any strange reactions from family or friends or like doubt? Yeah, them? I think the, the the hardest thing to to confront at that point is their skepticism. Yeah. Because, and again, I know it boils down to that first stumbling block. It's like you have a physical pain, you take an exam, they show you where the where the pain is, there's your ruptured disc or whatever, end of story. So to try to unlearn that and to show to them that, hey, yes, I'm not pretending that it's not there, but I'm telling you it's what Dr. Sarno called a normal abnormality. Yeah. So yes, it looks abnormal because you see the disc bulging or herniated or you have a rupture or a rotator cuff in your shoulder or something in your knee and, and you're looking right at it. And it's not that you want to pretend this is not, this is not a, you know, trying to muscle your brain into like healing you. Right. That, that's a big mistake that people think about the mind body connection. It's not that the pain is all in your head. Right. It's no, the pain is 100% in your back. The source of the pain, however, is not that herniation that you see on the exam. It's your brain taking advantage of that herniation. Right. And the thing that made Dr. Sarno see this in the first place was all these patients that he had as, as a reg, regular physical doctor, he would notice why, you know, why do half of the people with herniations don't even know they have them? Right. You know, the obvious common sense conclusion is that herniations in and of themselves, that's a very important detail, don't cause the pain. Right. They can be the channel through which you feel pain, but that's where you have to open your mind to the psychological true source of the pain, which is those emotional issues. It's a tough pill to swallow, it you is. know, especially if you're a, an analytical guy like me, right. you know, that you need evidence. So right. yeah, one thing that, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> one thing that just struck me about Sarno's results is that he was saying things like 90% of his patients would get healed without surgery. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not a doctor. But I know enough people that have had back issues that I've never heard people say, you know, 90% of this surgical procedure have been successful. Right. In fact, even, even the doctors that I spoke to would tell me, oh, you, we're going to try to do this procedure. And I'll tell you right now, there's, you know, there's a, you have a, like a 65% chance that it's going to help you out. Right. Like, man, that's, that's not very comforting when, no. you're, when you're thinking about going under the knife. So right. 90% recovery sounded better to me. Uh, with Dr. Sano. So I gave him, I gave him a listen and yeah, the awesome. rest is history. Right. So, um, was, was it a challenge for you to get back into regular physical activity at first? So it was, but not for long. Yeah. So the first thing that happens is, and, and as the old adage goes, sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. Yes. That's certainly true. When you finally confront your pain, the difference is when you go into it and you lean into the pain, and again, this is a big fat if, if you have faith that you really have TMS and that it's not a structural root causing your pain, then you have the confidence to lean into your pain and you're not afraid of it hurting more. Yeah. Because yeah, for about three days, I had an excruciating pain up my entire spine as I tried to sit up straight for the first time in two years. Wow. I mean, it, I was racked in pain, but the one thought that never occurred to me was, uh-oh, you're hurting yourself. No, that game was over. I had already exposed the brain's tricks. I'm not hurting myself. What I'm doing is feeling the direct result of the, of the brain depriving mildly some oxygen from the lower back, and that's what the excruciating pain is. 
I'm not hurting anything. Right. It's just pain. Like some of the UFC fighters say, it's just pain, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, but it's true. In about three days, the brain again, catches up with you and says, okay, I guess there's no need for me to keep depriving the lower L3, L4 of oxygen. So here you go. And before you know it, now I'm sitting for an hour, then two hours. And I'm like, man, this is awesome. Yeah. But yeah, I did have to muscle through it at first. Yeah, I know. I think a lot of people stop too early just out of fear. You know, it's like it feels sure. feels so physical. And so you just want to baby it. And so, yeah, having that fearless knowing is so important. So, all right. And so then um, have you had any flare ups since reaching 100%? And how did that look after having TMS knowledge? So it's funny because it's almost like if the flare up was a lighter, it's almost like you still have the lighter, but there's like this little drop of fluid and there's not enough to keep that candle burning. So yes, I've had, you know, I would do a certain move or I'd, you know, tie my shoes and then get up or just get out of the car really quick. And for for a second, my lower back is like gets that little pinch and I immediately address it like I'm talking to a small child and I feel up. You get back where you came from. I'm not in no time for you. Yeah. You know, of course, this was completely inconceivable before I read Sarno. You know, as soon as I felt a pinch in my back, it's like you said, you pamper it, you baby. You're like, oh, watch what you're doing. And of course, everybody's common advice is, you know, your position, be careful. Right. Don't do this. Don't twist the wrong way. Fear Bend at the knees. Do it. And it, that's, that's. It's it's just ingrained. It's it's hardwired into our heads because everybody keeps propagating these lies. Nice. You don't have to be now. It's like Sarno says: don't go around lifting refrigerators. Sure. That's not the point. But don't live with this paranoia that is actually causing you to be in pain. Because right. if you look for it, you're going to find it. Absolutely. So it does take some level of a measured but confident abandonment that you're not going to hurt yourself. Right. And that's the only way. So yeah, have I had flare-ups? I, I couldn't even call them that. It's not fair. Yeah. I've heard of other people having flare-ups that last for a while, but I'm almost guaranteeing that you know they're, they're forgetting to get back to basics. Right. You know, as, if you realize you're not really hurt, And again, that doesn't mean I can't break a bone or sprain an ankle. It just means that if I twist the wrong way, quote unquote, or I do something normal that suddenly causes pain, I know the brain's trick and I am able to just, you know, command it to go back. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those, it's like magic. It really it's it's is. like a miracle. Yeah. It's, it's a beautiful thing. And, it you know, is. people don't believe me that go through that kind of pain, but I, I wouldn't have believed myself. Trust me. Yeah. If I told myself a year ago, there's going to be a point that when you feel that pinch, you can literally command it away. I would have laughed at myself. Right. It sounds ridiculous. But, and that's like, but it, it's, it's doable. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's where a lot of the resistance comes in is that it sounds like witchcraft, you know, it really does. It really does. <laughs> it sounds too good to be true or yeah. like you're just hypnotizing yourself. Yeah. But, but again, as Sarno pointed out, there's a thing called placebo where what's the telltale sign of placebo, which is that the symptom returns. Right. Now, if you're able to do what I just described and you don't go through chronic pain, which is not to say you don't go through pain, pain. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I can twist my ankle. I can still pull a muscle. I'm not Superman, but I will never, and I can say this with confidence, I will never experience chronic pain again. Now, why can I say that? Very simple, because now I know what causes chronic pain, not normal pain. 
And what causes chronic pain is controllable. Right. What causes normal physical pain? No, you can't control that unless you're, you know, a Zen guru or something. (laughs) But the chronic pain, man, we don't need that anymore. That's for the birds. The trick's exposed. The gig is up. No more. Awesome. So I haven't talked about the symptom imperative yet on my show, but basically what it is is where you feel better in your main pain spot, but then you have another pain show up elsewhere or anxiety or depression. Was there any symptom imperative for you along your journey towards healing? (laughs) Was there any symptom imperative I didn't have is a better question. (laughs) I mean, it's almost like my brain went through an encyclopedia of different symptoms to throw at me. I mean, I got them all. It it would go from, you know, the lower back to the middle, to the upper back, to the shoulders, to the knees, to the elbows, to the neck, to the migraines. And through it all, anxiety has always been my my partner in crime. Anxiety is always there to accompany any flare up in any part of my body. And my favorite kind of anxiety is the kind that just shows up for no apparent reason whatsoever, you know? So yeah, even when I was 100% pain-free, Sometimes I would get this sudden, I did get massive flare-ups of anxiety. Yeah. And anxiety is something that I dealt with about five or six years ago. And I have to do a quick shout out to another earthly savior of mine, Claire Weeks, mm. who has a book out called Hope and, oh, he- and yeah. Help for Your Nerves. Yeah. And, sh- and she basically gave me the, you know, the cure for panic attacks. Yeah. So using her methods, all the anxiety that I experienced with this chronic pain never escalated into a full-blown panic attack because of Claire Weeks' methods. Did so you, shout out to her. And, yeah. and, but you, yes, to answer your question, symptom imperative yes. hit me big time. Yeah. Did you find Claire on the TMS wiki or did you know about her before? No, I, I heard about her before because a friend of mine had suffered panic attacks and he ah. gave me the book. Ah. And um, yeah, so that was my first, yeah. you know, I, I keep using the term earthly savior because as a Christian, and it's funny because as a Christian, these earthly saviors kind of shed a lot of light on my own faith, spiritually speaking. And I'll echo what Nicole Sachs said about the journal speak. It doesn't matter what faith you happen to practice. You should and definitely can, can be greatly assisted by connecting the mind body truth to whatever faith you practice, you know? Because they're all connected. I mean, truth is truth, no matter how you paint it. Right. So that connection is 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 inseparable once you see it. And like I see Jesus in a whole new light, but I'm not here to preach. I'm just here to make the point that mind-body healing should certainly even help your spirituality, not just yes. your physical life. And of course, your emotional life with it. So yes. there's just, there's no reason not to do mind-body healing. There's just no reason, right. unless like Nicole says, do you want to be in pain? I mean, it's your life. Yeah. yeah. It's your life. Yeah. That's interesting. I always found that over the last year in introducing this material, I found that my more spiritual patients actually had a better time absorbing the information because they had a certain faith in this body that they've been given in this lifetime. And so I think that's really important. Um, And so, yeah. 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 I I would connect it also with a person's um, temperament, you know, if you're the type of person that has a spiritual faith, then you already know that there's more to the body than meets the eye. Right. You know, whereas if in, no, not to knock atheists, I mean, they, they can use mind body healing just as much. Absolutely. <laughs> they just don't, they don't include the spiritual aspect, but you can use, 
you know, just using Freud's concepts, you know, who himself was an atheist. And a lot of Sarno was built on that. So that's why I keep saying truth is truth, whether you're a believer or not. Right. So the whole connection is that you have to see that there's more to the body than what meets the eye. It's not just a physical collection of atoms and molecules. There are emotions. There are. And then if you are a person of faith, there are spiritual components to your body that you can tap into if you believe they're there in the first place. If you don't believe they're there, then the negative aspect of a spirit or just your brain, if you want to use you know, subconscious language, it's going to fool you and it's going to cause you a lot of pain. Right, so right. helps to expose the enemy. Absolutely. So if you had any advice for those who are still kind of in the depths of their struggle with pain, what would it be? So I, again, I would break it down into which of the two phases are you in? Are you at the beginning phase where you've heard about TMS or Dr. Sarno and it's done a lot of good for you, but you still struggle with a lot of pain. So you're you're like kind of part of the way there. Or are you the second type of person that it's completely healed you almost, you know, you just 10 percent more, you know, depending on which one of those two. If you're the first type, if you're the person that has suddenly found an answer, but you still struggle a lot, then I would say you're at the beginning of your journey and you really need to get back to the basics of journal speak, you know, or, or another equivalent method where you're confronting your emotions in a way that, you know, you can either do on your own or for the more exaggerated cases. And I don't mean that in a negative way. It's just, it is what it is. I've been to psychotherapy myself, see a psychotherapist, you know, dig out those issues that are in the end causing your body pain. If you're of the second group, then that's that's my specialty, you know, yeah. as the profession. And I, and I would urge you to go see my second video because I did do a follow-up video after enough people told me, hey, I saw your video. That was awesome. You inspired me. I want to learn about TMS and I want to heal. But, you know, that was a few months ago. Are you still, you know, are, how are you doing now? Is the pain worse? Is it better? Yeah. And then it occurred to me, oh, my God, I'm still, you know, I'm pain free, but I haven't told anybody that's watching the videos. Yeah. So I did the follow up and, and we'll the difference up. between the first stage and the second stage is the first stage. You have to be patient and kind with yourself. Mm-hmm. So that's my advice to those people. My advice to the people that are almost cured but can't quite get to that 100 percent mark is the other extreme. Here's where you got to employ tough love. And that's what my second video does. You got to literally just kick yourself in the ass and tell yourself, (laughs) you know, you can't dilly dally with this because it will happily stay around as long as you want it to. Right. So that's my advice. You know, be kind to yourself at first, but then when the time has come, it's time to get tough. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yep. And so, um, did you have to at all, kind of change your personality at all? Did you stop being a perfectionist? Did you stop being a goodist? Was there anything that you had to give up? I love that question because common sense would tell you that, oh, you have to change your habits. But this is a very, very different animal. The beauty of TMS healing is that not only do you not change who you are, in my experience, you can actually use the way you are to assist your healing. You just have to channel it in the right way. So, for example, the two typical personalities that Sarno mentions, and I'm a prime example of it, that experience TMS pain are perfectionists and what he calls goodists. A perfectionist, we all know what that is. Mm -hmm. But what's a goodist? 
a goodist, and I love that term, I'd never heard it before, yeah. is somebody that's always trying to help other people and that inside can feel victimized because why aren't they trying to help me? Right. Or why aren't they at least grateful for the help that I'm obviously giving them? And, and any honest person that's a goodist or a perfectionist is going to confront squarely the fact that they're one, you know, right. like, why am I even here on this podcast? Because I'm a goodist. <laughs> I want to help other people, right? You know, yeah. I want to spread the word and I just want to help society and, and, and contribute and, and play my role, you know, and, and, and of course, subconsciously, I want to please my parents and, and spiritually, I want to please my, my spiritual father in heaven. So it's the kind of thing where once you admit squarely that you have this personality type, no, you don't have to change a thing about how you are. You're still going to be a perfectionist. You're still going to be a goodist. The difference is you have an awareness that you didn't have before. So if a person, for example, realizes that they had a lot of suppressed emotions as a kid and they think, well, now that I have TMS awareness, I need to be more vocal about my, my feelings and tell people how I feel and tell that son of a bitch, blah, 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 blah. No, it's, that's what journal speak is for. Yes, you have to give that voice that's been suppressed a vent or as, as Nicole calls it, a steam valve. But you don't change the person that you are. Right. You're giving that, that inner child a voice. But out in the real world, you're still, you know, if you're a helper, then you're still a helper. If you're right. still a, you know, anal retentive perfectionist like me, you still do that. <laughs> and you still do the job the way that you do it. The difference, like I said, is you now have an awareness of what causes you chronic pain and you stop it dead in its tracks. Right. But no, you don't change your personality one bit. I love that. I love that part of it too, because it's me too. Because like, I, I don't want to change. Yeah. Right, right. You don't have to quit your <laughs> I job. I still want to be me. In fact, I would even go as far as to say with this awareness, you're enabled to be even more yourself, yeah. which is a beautiful, liberating thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so we're going to kind of wrap things up here, but do you have any last words to say or any words of encouragement or advice um, that you want to just wrap things up with? I guess on a personal note, I would wrap up by saying if if the listener is the kind of person that swears to themselves that this is all great for most people, but probably not for them, I would say to you, says who, yeah. you know, and I'm telling you, the only person in the world that says so is you. Right. So you're your own obstacle. Get yourself out of the way yeah. and let the miracle happen. Awesome. I love that. Well, Joe, thank you so much for being on the oh, show. Oh, thanks for today. having me. It was, believe me, it was my pleasure. Yeah. I could talk about this stuff forever because when you're when you're stuck on your back for two years and all of a sudden you're you're I'm signed up for a marathon at the end of the year. It, you know, yeah, it's the kind of thing where it's like you you gotta share it. Yeah. You gotta share it. Awesome. Well, so. it was such a pleasure and joy. Thank you so much. We'll have some links in the show notes for your music. Um, and, yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, thanks and, for that and, plug. Your, <laughs> and your YouTube videos too. We'll put those on there along with awesome. the Nicole Sachs work as well. So thank Fantastic. you. Thank you so much, Joe. You have a wonderful no, day. Thank you, Caitlin. Thank you have a great day. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you later. Take care. All right. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye. All right, guys. So that wraps up today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. We've got more recovery stories coming your way. And I'm so excited to start talking to all of you guys who have had your own amazing TMS recoveries. 
And if you're one of them, please reach out to me. I would love to have you on the show. If you want to talk about your your experience and your story, um, let's let's chat about it. I would love I would love to meet you. My email address that you can reach me with um, for those stories is mindbodymasters at gmail.com. That's mindbodymasters at gmail.com. Thanks so much again, guys, for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye.